and a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Shayla Birch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Today being a Friday, we bring you our youth feature and we'll be taking a look at things such as daily prayer of the rosary, African youth activist groups and hashtag white equals black. That's what's coming up in our youth feature later on. But before that, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. Listen to Radio Veritas, 5.76 a.m. for a change. In your headlines this Friday evening, Pope Francis receives international prize, national security in Liberia, and climate action 2016. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pitch. A Christian does not anesthetize or numb pain, but lives through it in the hope that God will give us a joy that nobody can take away. That was the key message of the Pope's homily at this morning Mass celebrated in the Santa Marta residence. Taking his inspiration from the day's reading, where Jesus warns his disciples of a coming sadness, but says it will be transformed later into a cry of joy, Pope Francis reflected in his homily on how Christians should maintain their joy and hope, even in the midst of pain. He used the example of a woman when she gives birth, saying, She's in pain because her time has come, but when she gives birth to her baby, she no longer remembers the suffering. She carries on hoping throughout the pain, and then she rejoices. The Pope explained that this is the impact that joy and hope together can have on our lives when we are suffering or in pain. He stressed that it is not an anesthesia because pain is pain but should be lived through with joy and hope and when that joy from the Lord arrives, it's a lasting joy. Noting that for a Christian, joy and hope always journey together, Pope Francis warned that they should not be confused with simple happiness or optimism. A joy without hope is just enjoyment, a temporary happiness, he said. In the same way, Hope without joy is not real hope and doesn't go beyond a healthy optimism. Pope Francis stressed that joy and hope depend upon each other to flourish and urge Christians to open out towards others with these two Christian virtues. Joyful people, he said, do not stay closed in on themselves but are open towards others. Concluding his homily, the Pope noted that human joy can be taken away at any time, whereas Jesus gives us a lasting joy that nobody can take away from us. It's a joy that remains even during our darkest moments. He said just like the apostles were full of joy after being reassured by the angels as they rather sadly looked up to heaven following the ascension of our Lord. The apostles, he explained, have that joy of knowing that our humanity entered heaven for the first time, that hope of life and of rejoining our Lord. This, said Pope Francis, becomes a joy that pervades the whole church. I'm Susie Hodges. 
still with Pope Francis. Earlier this Friday, Pope Francis received the international Charlemagne Prize from a delegation made up of the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, the President of the European Council Donald Tusk, Martin Schulz, and the President of the European Commission Jean-Claude Juncker. In his address, Pope Francis said, if we want a dignified future, a future of peace for our societies, we will only be able to achieve it by working for genuine inclusion. Pope Francis stressed that he would receive the award with an intention to offer it to Europe, adding that ours is not so much a celebration as a moment to express our shared hope for a new and courageous step forward for this beloved continent. After hearing speeches from the Lord Mayor of Aachen, Martin Philip, those in attendance heard President Schultz of the European Parliament explain that Europe is going through turbulent times and faces what may be a decisive test of its unity. Other speakers at the event included the President of the Council of Europe and the President of the European Commission. In his address, Pope Francis pleaded for a revitalised Europe, saying, I am convinced that resignation and weariness do not belong to the soul of Europe and that even our problems can become powerful forces for unity. Referring to his 2014 address to the European Parliament, he reflected on his comparison between Europe and an ageing, weary grandmother. He challenged the people of Europe, asking, What has happened to you, the Europe of humanism, the champion of human rights, democracy and freedom? What has happened to you, Europe, the home of poets, philosophers, artists, musicians and men and women of letters? What has happened to you, Europe, the mother of peoples and nations, the mother of great men and women who upheld and even sacrificed their lives for the dignity of their brothers and sisters? He spoke of a Europe that can give birth to a new humanism based on three capacities, the capacity to integrate, the capacity for dialogue and the capacity to generate. He noted that the roots of Europeans were consolidated down the centuries by a constant need to integrate a number of varied cultures. He added that a culture of dialogue should be an integral part of the education imparted in our schools, helping to give young people the necessary tools to settle conflicts in a new way. The Pope stressed that all countries, the smallest and the greatest, have an active role to play in the creation of an integrated and reconciled society. Of special importance is the role of young people. He asked those in attendance, how can we tell them that they are protagonists when the level of underemployment of millions of young Europeans is continually rising? How can we avoid losing our young people who end up going elsewhere in search of their dreams and a sense of belonging? Because here, in their own countries, we don't know how to offer them opportunities and values. To create dignified and well-paying jobs, Pope Francis emphasised the need to move away from a liquid economy, one directed at revenue and profiting from speculation, to a social economy, one that invests in people by creating jobs. Pope Francis concluded by describing his own dream for Europe, a place still capable of being a mother who has life because she respects and offers hope for life herself, a place attentive to the infirm and elderly, a place where people breathe the pure air of honesty. I'm Ryan Black. The Liberian government is taking over control of VIP protection from the UN as part of a gradual transition towards assuming responsibility for all aspects of national security. The United Nations mission in Liberia has been supporting the West African country since 2003, but as long-term peace and stability returns, it is gradually reducing the role it's playing. Romeo Togba reports from the Liberian capital, Monrovia. Charlie! 
At the height of the UN mission in Liberia, up to 17,000 military and police personnel who have passed through the main compound of Omeo, where I am now. Omeo is currently implementing a phased drawdown of troops and a gradual handover of security responsibilities to the Liberian government. UN peacekeeping personnel from Nigeria, India, Jordan, and recently China have been providing VIP security functions to President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf and her deputy. But now those responsibilities have been transferred. Omeo Police Commissioner Gregory Hans spoke at an event to mark the handover. I want to thank China's FPU command staff and its officers on your professionalism and diligence in support of the Executive Protection Service. I look forward to your ongoing professionalism to ensuring peace, stability is enduring in Liberia as we move towards the 30th of June where the government will fully assume its security responsibilities. Come 1 July, Omeo will still have 1,240 military and some 600 police on the ground. But these forces will only be used in what the mission has described as very extreme situations. For her part, the Deputy Director of the Government Executive Protection Service, Rose Tracker, commended Omeo for its service to the presidency. A very big thank you to you for your sacrifice to our country. We appreciate you leaving the comfort of your homes, your families, to come here and serve our country. We have great respect for the work that you have done here, and we thank you wholeheartedly for that. We welcome you back to Liberia whenever you're free to come. Omeo was established in 2003, following two civil wars during a period of 14 years, between 1999 and 2003. Almost 250,000 people, mainly civilians, lost their lives. Law and order in the West African country completely broke down. Peace and stability has now returned to Liberia following those dark days. Liberians are now safer after key justice and security reforms were implemented by the government. The UN Security Council is expected to decide on the future of Omeo towards the end of 2016. After the eventual withdrawal of Omeo, the UN will continue to support long-term peace in Liberia. Romeo Toba at Omeo headquarters in Monrovia, Liberia. Finally, according to Yim Yong Kim, the president of the World Bank, the world needs to wake up from the fog of success over the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Yim Yong Kim was speaking at the Climate Action 2016 Summit in Washington, D.C., which began on Wednesday. He said that the achievement of last December's historic agreement, which was officially signed by 175 countries last month, could be lost without immediate action. Matthew Wells reports. Welcome to Climate Action 2016, a unique multi-stakeholder event to accelerate climate action globally. Entitled Catalyzing a Sustainable Future, the summit brought together some of the most influential figures and institutions in the public and private sectors to talk about how promises made can be translated into action. 
The UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon used the example of the country hosting the summit to show how broad the coalition for tackling change already is, despite the lack of political consensus in Washington itself. Here in the United States, cities and private sector, investors, the finance community, the military, faith communities and civil society all are driving the transformative change we need at this time. He praised the pivotal role of the U.S. and China and announced that he will convene a similar summit in Hangzhou in September. He said action was needed now to meet the challenges of achieving the Sustainable Development Goals as well as a warming planet. To rise to these challenges, we will need strong partnership at all levels. No sector of society and no nation can succeed alone. I encourage you to collaborate, innovate and invest. Let's work together. Thank you very much. Mr. Ban highlighted key areas where public-private collaboration was most needed. Sustainable energy, land use, greening cities and transportation. That last issue was taken up by World Bank Chief Jim Yong Kim, who said that sustainable mobility could help cut harmful carbon emissions by a third. He warned the room against any complacency. I'm extremely worried right now. We really, really have no time to waste. We cannot delay. And as great as Paris was, as excited and inspired as we were by the signing on April 22nd, I think we now have to wake up from the fog of success. Political successes have to then lead quickly to action and implementation. The migration and refugee crisis was just making the huge costs of fighting climate change on all levels worse, he added. And he warned Asia in particular against moving forward with industrial growth based on coal. The key, he said, was to be creative and act as fast as humanly possible. Let's act with the fierce urgency of now. It's our responsibility to ensure a livable planet for us and for all future generations. Thank you very much. And those were some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond right here on the Catwick View. Do stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me this Friday evening. It is a Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio K. and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next, our youth feature. Welcome back to our youth feature. Today we focus on daily prayer of rosary, African youth activist groups, and hashtag white equals black. Following his May 4th general audience, Pope Francis recalled that the month of May is dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary and then asked young people to pray the rosary daily and called upon the sick to turn to Mother Mary. Any military operation to free more than 200 girls abducted by the terrorist group Boko Haram would be complicated and challenging and could end in disaster. That's one major concern being raised by the UN Special Representative for Children and Armed Conflict. 276 girls were abducted by Boko Haram in the northeast of Nigeria, and although 57 escaped soon after, there are still 219 being held. Leila Zerogi said that any military attempt to liberate them would have to be done extremely carefully to avoid a tragedy. 
We have to uh, remember that the plight of the children of Nigeria started before this. What happened to the girls of Shibuk was maybe the uh, landmark uh, that allowed the world to know what is happening in Nigeria. Since then, as you, as you said, some make their way out, they, 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 they fled. Uh, the majority are still held, uh, in, the, in, in the hands of their capture. Uh, for me, uh, we have this video, uh, the recent video that came, at least that they are still alive. That's something for the parents, I'm sure, mixed relief. They are still alive, but still in the hands of their, those who abducted them. And we know what happened to the, to the girls in the hand of Boko Haram. So... That's what we know. The vice president of Nigeria spoke about this issue and he made it clear that the, the difficulties for them is also if even they know where they are, how you can go to release them without, without putting their life in danger. So that's the big challenge that we are facing. What are the efforts that are being led on the ground and that your offices are, might be involved in? There is a lot of engagement from member states, from uh, 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 the government itself after the, the new government was set, set uh, in Nigeria. Ourselves on the ground. Remember that this allowed my office to bring this issue to the Security Council. That was the year that we prepared to bring Boko Haram as a party to conflict, killing and maiming and attacking schools and hospitals. We added also the recruitment and news last year. So we are doing our best, first of all, to gather the information, to highlight the plight of children, to ensure that even in the military response to fight Boko Haram, we don't forget that these groups that are using children as suicide bombers, they are suicide, they're using children and a human shield, they are capturing children, so we try to push member states while we understand the fight of Boko Haram is a priority, is a legitimate uh, uh, response by the government, but it must be within the respect of international law, human rights, humanitarian law, refugee laws, but also specific measure, mitigating measures to ensure that children that are within this group will be protected and if captured to ensure they are very quickly handed over to civilian authority. That's what we are doing, raising the concern, pushing member states to support opening doors for, for reintegration. Uh, we uh, uh, also speak to the Nigerian to say, don't talk about de-radicalization of children. Children just need to be reintegrated, reinserted, and returned to their family. Do we think, based on the statement by the vice president, that even if we do know where they are, it's a question of how we might get to them, that in fact we do know where they are? He did not say, even though when you and I am saying that, he said just that don't forget that it's complicated and challenging because if you have to operate, you have to make sure that you will not go and kill them. That would be a disaster. And I think that was the issue that prevent uh, maybe uh, 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 operation to, to take place uh, because of, of this risk. Second, I think the, the Boko Haram are not 
uh, as they were in the past, occupying area, they are hit and run. The forest is, is very, very thick forest. We know that. If you have 200 girls that are there, plus all those who were abducted after this one, uh, then it's very difficult, and I am sure that the the group is also making it as a priority to ensure they will never uh, found and re recapture. So we don't know where they are. Maybe they are underground. Maybe they are in the heart of of the bush. Maybe they are outside of Nigeria. We don't know. You know that this this group operate in Nigeria and in neighboring countries. You mentioned the importance of not. Um, talking about de-radicalization. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens to girls who escape or return? Are they still stigmatized today? I think that when you go through these terrible things, you are stigmatized. You are stigmatized because you need, in the community, people that understand, people that treat you as victim, as uh, uh, they return... Uh, after being wives of the of the Boko Haram, sometimes they returned uh, with children because in captivity there are many returned pregnant. Very hard in very conservative society to get these children, these girls, received and and not stigmatized. World-famous Beninese musician Angelique Kijo has won a Human Rights Award along with three African youth activist movements for their work defending freedom of expression and peaceful protests. Right Group Amnesty International announced the winners on Wednesday, praising Kiju and the three African youth activist groups for their work in Africa and around the world. Amnesty says the award honors those who have shown exceptional courage in standing up to injustice and whom have used their talents to inspire others and further the cause of human rights. The honor known as the Ambassador of Conscience Award has previously gone to world leaders such as Vaclav Havel, Nelson Mandela and Aung San Suu Kyi, as well as artists Bono, John Baez and Ai Weiwei. 25-year-old rising star Sandy Botta promotes racial harmony and reconciliation through the love story of her upcoming hit single, Dancing to Your Song. In a world that is besieged by the inability to see our mutual humanity pass our differences, Sandy Botta uses her upcoming hit single as a medium to bring people of different races together. Well, this song is a love song, and it's really centered around a man and a woman who are fully pursuing each other. And as I was getting ready to release it and to work on it and to really promote it, I got an idea and I thought, you know, Sandy, you've got a great voice already, and this song has the potential of making, of making it and being a hit song. But what message can you attach to this song to make a difference? Because... I don't want to just be a singer with a nice voice. I want to, to make a difference in the community and the world I live in. And I got this incredible idea based on the, the racial uproar that has been happening in South Africa, that if I created a campaign birthed by the song that focuses on love in interracial relationships, that would then send a strong message to people because everybody relates to love. Everybody wants to sing to a song that is about love. But if, if, they, if they can get the idea of black and white together in love, I thought that would be a, a really strong message. So then the campaign was good. 
and the content posted on the campaign was um, it would be posters. Uh, one, for example, if I could give you one, a poster that said, "Dear diary." What will my father say when he finds out that the man at the door, the white man at the door, is actually my boyfriend? So whatever content, posters, videos, songs, footage we put on the on the page was based on love between a black and a white person, old, young, etc. And and that's how I thought that the song would would do more than just entertain people. Um, I think the campaign and this provoking content was meant to to stir conversation around the topic. So the idea was that people would begin to see all this content focused around black and white and, and question themselves. And these are different people. Some of them are racist. Some of them are accepting of the notion of racial harmony. So I, I then wanted South Africans to begin to talk and challenge themselves. And those who found themselves racist then saying, wait, have I lost the wagon there? Is, is this message talking to me? How can I get a piece of this forgiveness and healing that this campaign is talking about. And, and the, the reality is that not all of these anti-racism campaigns can fix the problem. What we can do is bring tools and provide tools to people and different paradigms and ways of thinking. And what we can do is do our content is to begin to provoke the mind of the mentality behind racism so that the individual then questions and says, am I rational? by being racist, racist. Why am I so angry? And and then discover that, oh, there's pain behind my anger, and then say, where does my pain come from? And then get to the root of the problem. Ever since the release of this song, what has been uh, people's reaction? Oh, they love it. I sang it first at uh, a show I did on the 7th of April, and because it's so catchy and so warm, people were dancing along to it. So what I then did was I started to plant the idea of the campaign into people's minds, and especially because it's such a catchy song, people remember the song and people remember the logo of the campaign. So when they hear the song, it rings a bell, oh, that song about that campaign that is helping to build reconciliation around black and white and to construct racial, um, racial harmony around it. So people love the song. Radio stations love it. They've been saying, please, Sandy, when the song is out, we want to play it on our radio station. And uh, when can the public get hold of your album, or rather of your single? Of my single. Okay, my single comes out um, towards the end of May. I'll be announcing dates very, very soon. Um, it was initially meant to be out a little earlier, but we had some producers coming in and, and feeling that there were, there were elements they'd like to add to it. So... But by the end of May, the single should be out. I'm promoting it already. I've gone to show and, and sang, so people can get a hold of, of the song itself on YouTube. I've posted lots of videos around it. So they can listen to it before it, it does come out. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on your show. I am yours. You Well, that brings me up to time. This has been your Friday's edition of The Catholic View. And today I sign out on a different note. I leave you with a mother's love. That's my dedication to all mothers this coming Sunday. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thank you for watching over me All of the sleepless nights you lay awake Thank you for knowing where Oh
for every stepping stone And for the path that always leads me home I thank you for the time you took To see the heart inside of me You gave me the roots to start this life And then you gave I learned to dream because you believed in me. There's no power like it on this earth, no treasure equal to its worth. The gift of a mother. unsung deed I know you did for me Thank you for giving me the choice to search my soul till I could find my voice And I thank you for teaching me to be strong enough to bear You gave me You gave me wings to fly And I learned to dream Because you believed in me There's no power like it on this earth No treasure equal to its worth The gift of a mother's love Oh